Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. The Gospel of John, chapter 11, reading from the 17th verse. On Jesus' arrival, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And continuing the reading from verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And reading from verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lord, may your word live in us. Thanks, Rob. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts, we ask, that through the words that are spoken, we will find ourselves challenged, uplifted, grown, stretch our thinking. And Lord God, may we above all else know that you are speaking to us. Between what is said and what we hear, may your Holy Spirit work in such a way that we take away something relevant, something applicable. For each of us, Lord God, have come this morning knowing that you want to speak. Hear from us, Lord God, that we want to listen. Amen. I have a little, a strange sense of humor, I suppose. Whenever I think of the story of Lazarus, which, by the way, I imagine in a, a whole number of different varieties. Whenever I read the story, I try and picture it in my mind. I try and figure out how this all worked and how did Lazarus come out of the tomb and when he was wrapped, all these things go through my head. But I once saw a couple of cartoons that, that made me laugh, and uh, I do acknowledge that I have a weird sense of humor. They may not make you laugh, but I thought they were pretty funny where uh, Jesus is standing in front of this tomb and the, the rocks away and out coming from the tomb is this guy all wrapped up like a mummy and Jesus is sort, of, is sort of shaking his head going, no, 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 not you, the other Lazarus. <laughs> I, saw, I saw another one where, uh, where Jesus is standing and he's got his thumb and his finger and his eyes in frustration and he, there's about five or six guys at the entrance to the tomb, and he's going, okay, now will the real Lazarus come forth? And I love the idea, the kind of making fun of the fact that all of these dead people are just trying to find a way to get back to life and sneakily taking any chance that they can get to get out of the tomb. But how fascinating is the story? 
How fascinating are all the stories of Jesus' miracles? We read them with interest. We read them with wonder. We listen to the stories that we've heard, honestly, from Sunday school days, or maybe if you were lucky enough, parents even read them to you while you were having evening prayers before you went to bed. We know them. We love them. About blind people receiving their sight, about the 5,000 being fed, about the sick people that are healed and crippled people that walk, the way that Jesus healed people without even being in visible range of them, the way he turned water into wine, and of course, this one, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. They are fascinating stories. But have you ever thought of what it must have been like for the people at the time? How on earth did they make sense of whatever Jesus was doing? It was the best magic they've ever seen. The most amazing things that were happening. They'd heard of people who could do things like this. Never had they seen magical things take place. Have you ever thought what it must have been like for the Pharisees and the religious teachers who were trying to keep control of the people? They had everything nice, everything orderly, everything going smoothly. And suddenly, along comes this low-life, bottom-of-the-social-economic-order, good-for-nothing magician and starts pulling out these incredible tricks. Most amazing things he's got up his sleeve. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, 2,000 years of hindsight, And we know that Jesus is God. We know that he rises from the dead. We know that ultimately what he did, he did because he is the Almighty. Jesus and God are one and the same. They are connected. But for those early church leaders, this trickery presented a very significant problem. This wasn't your run-of-the-mill kind of magic show with a rabbit and and a few card tricks. This guy was doing serious stuff that couldn't be explained. And Lazarus, well, that was the biggest one. That was the big one. Lots of people had made claims of healings before. There had been lots of tricksters, lots of hustlers, lots of charlatans and thieves who had pulled off elaborate cons before. Had even had blind people who had pretended to be blind and who could see. But all of a sudden, This one doesn't get explained away. Lazarus is something else. He had been dead for four days. They had known he was dead. There was the stench, the odor of death all about him. There were tears, real tears from the grieving grieving family. There was mourning. There was a funeral. And now, suddenly there's life. There is life. Jesus the magician. The choice of the word is deliberately provocative. It's meant to go against what we feel we know about Jesus. We know he performed miracles, not tricks. But there's something more in what he did. Something that causes us to follow. Something that causes us to see beyond a a magic moment for those early disciples and gets us to see into the heart of God and through these stories causes us to believe. And I don't think it's the actual thing that happens. I don't think we read the miracles of Jesus and think to ourselves, wow, I don't know how he did that, so I think I'll follow him. 
Maybe he'll do some other cool tricks. We don't follow Jesus because of the miracles. But in the miracles, we see something deeper at play that speaks to our soul. Something that maybe helps us answer the question, why Jesus? Why do we follow him? Why do we dedicate our lives to him? What is it about this man that causes us to, to uh, focus everything on, on living faithfully for him, for some to give their lives in faithful service? Why Jesus? Well, because in these miracles, there's something that speaks deep into our soul. It's no coincidence that the story of Lazarus is most often read in uh, the Lent period because it's a kind of a preview to the cross. It's a foreshadowing of Easter, if you will. Lazarus is deeply loved by Jesus as Jesus is loved by God. But Jesus forsakes Lazarus in his hour of need. He doesn't go when they call him when he's sick. He doesn't rush to Lazarus' side. Instead, he hangs back for a few days. And then when Jesus shows up at the tomb, then we get to see a stone rolled away. We get to see death destroyed, life having victory. The dead are raised, cut free from the burial clothes as Lazarus walks, and even the stench of death is forgotten. I love the way that Jesus' heart, much like God's heart, is completely broken. He gets to the tomb and we're told that he wept. He feels our pain. He connects with our humanity. And then he says this as he begins to explain what attracts us in the miracles. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say to the grieving Mary and Martha, I've come to tell you about the resurrection. He doesn't say, take heart, be encouraged, hang on, one day you'll see your brother again in heaven, one day he will be resurrected again at the end of times. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I am the resurrection. I am it. I am the resurrection. Wherever I am, here in this time, in this place, on this earth, is the resurrection. It's life eternal now. And then he acts on his compassion. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb and unbinds him and shows that life is here as he and the sisters and Lazarus start to party and celebrate in Bethany. I am the resurrection and the life. And it is this moment that his critics knew we have to kill him. There is no other way to get rid of a magician like this. We have to kill him. And therein lies the first reason why this magician miracle worker compels us to follow him in these stories. Because his miracles are natural moments where the kingdom of God breaks through into life. The miracles are these natural moments where the kingdom of God breaks through into life. I think it's, it's, it's funny to think that almost all of the miracles and healings, with the exception of Lazarus, were people that weren't known or weren't really known to Jesus. And by the way, none of whom came to defend him when he was on the cross either. But there appears to be, for Jesus, no formula, no certain path, no set of requirements, no criteria to follow. The, the, the miracles that Jesus did are a spontaneous, a spontaneous outbreaking of the, of the kingdom of God gracious in the extreme. It's a miracle precisely because those who were healed 
had nothing to do with it. The crowd was always amazed, but have you ever noticed that Jesus doesn't carry that sense of wonder? It's almost like this is a natural thing for him to do. It's this outpouring of the kingdom. It's an intrusion of the supernatural onto the natural order of, of things. But it's exactly what Jesus regards as normal because he lives in the kingdom of God. In the miracles of Jesus, we get this very privileged glimpse of the way the world is intended to be. And it challenges us as to what is natural and normal and what we think is natural and normal. And we get to ask ourselves when we read these stories, what if what we think is natural and normal is completely wrong and, and it's the supernatural that what it, that's what it's meant to be? And as we begin to ask that, the answer to why Jesus becomes a little clearer. Because they point to the truth of who Jesus really is. Give us a glimpse of what God really wants. And when we see that, that is attractive. But secondly, the magician alleviates, alleviates us of our own godlike complexes. And being rid of that responsibility feels very, very good. We like to think that we can control things. We like to try and control all things in our life. We like to manipulate situations to our greatest good. On our better days, we like to manipulate things for the greater good of other people. But when we read about Jesus from 200 years ago, we get reminded in these stories that our assumptions about the world we live in, about what we think we know through, through what we've lived in, what we control, what we presume is one way and unchangeable, what we think is true, what we try to predict and what we assume is actually turned upside down about by Jesus. You think that Lazarus is dead? Really? Well, watch this. You think that five loaves and two fish can't possibly feed 5,000 people? Step back before you get hurt. You think that someone who has never seen would be able to see? Well, open your eyes because look at this. And so Jesus takes things which we think we can control and turns them upside down. And takes the control away. And believe it or not, that's a good thing. Six months ago or so, we went to the Gold Coast and uh, had a, a little week's break over there. And while we were there, we took the kids to Movie World and uh, went on some fantastic roller coasters. But there's one roller coaster which I, I don't know how fantastic it is because it's really, really frightening. And we waited ages in this queue to get to this roller coaster. And by the, you know, you watch it all the time, and every time it goes around, you get just that little bit more scared. So by the time you actually sit in that chair, you are really, really frightened. And the kids were a little bit frightened. I didn't want them to see that I was more frightened than them. And they locked those things into place. And that's it. You are, that's the end for you. You are stuck there for the ride. And do you know, up until that point, I had felt completely in control. Up until that point, everything about my life was in my hands. But the moment that thing locked onto me, all control was gone. And I said to the kids, I said, well, this is it. There's nothing you can do but hang on 
And for 45 seconds, you're, you're in this ride. That's it. No going back. Click, 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 click. You know the feeling. But I'll tell you something. Deep down, it felt good to be relieved of that control. It was 45 seconds of pure fun. So much so, we waited another hour in the queue to go again. It feels good to be relieved of the responsibility that we feel to control things. And we have to acknowledge that actually we don't control anything. God is in control of things. We don't know how. There's no possible explanation. And if, if Jesus did these miracles, we couldn't begin to tell you how it happened. But as we read the stories, it kind of pulls back the veil and shows us what's really going on in our limited understanding of life. In these miracles, God reserves the right to, to work in ways that completely disrupt our very settled opinions of what God can do and how He can work. And in the most interesting and beautiful way possible, He lets us know, my child, your life is an opportunity for me to be glorified, for people to see the power of God at work. And that happens when we acknowledge that we cannot control, we cannot dictate, and really, that's a very good thing. It's an attractive thing. It's a liberating thing. Which leads me to the third reason why uh, a magician Jesus or a miracle worker Jesus rather compels us to follow him. And that is that the miracles actually start with the crescendo of the resurrection. We have this funny idea that we should read the scriptures and, and as we read it we'll gain a sense of of the, the kind of momentum of Jesus' life building up. So we start at the beginning of the Gospels and we, we get to the miracles and we read about Jesus turning water into wine and we believe He can do that. And then we read about Him healing the sick and we believe He can do that. And then we read about Him feeding the 5,000, we believe He can do that. And we read about Lazarus and we believe that He does that. And so we kind of think, well, we've believed all of this up to this point, so now I can believe in the resurrection. But in actual fact, it works the other way around because you already knew that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. You've been in churches for years. We, we know that Christ is resurrected, that He is God incarnate. And in actual fact, we work backwards from that miracle. We work backwards from the resurrection because we've known since ever, since forever, that He's defeated death. The whole miracle of Easter brings everything else into focus and everything else begins to make sense for the disciples they were so confused resurrection happens they uh, the death of christ happens they, they are confused as anything but when they are in the undeniable presence of a living christ with them after easter everything starts to come into focus now we get it they can say after the resurrection now we see that your that your your random healings aren't they're a sign of a much larger project. You weren't just helping one or two people you felt sorry for. Now we see that you're determined to have nothing less than the whole of sin defeated, that death will be conquered, that the whole hurting world is going to be delivered back into the hands of God. For us, the crescendo happens first. The ultimate sign and wonder, the turning point of history, is already known to us from years ago. 
And the Messiah is revealed, and we are at God's initiative to able to see who God is. This is no magician. This is God Almighty. This is the King of Kings. How can we not follow? Why, Jesus? See the resurrection. See the miracles. See God who, who, is, who is in control. See the kingdom breaking through. That's why, Jesus. Amen. Let us pray.